No, I, I feel the same. I I put it like back on when the attendant, you know, walks to the front and walks to the back, you know, like mm-hmm. three times a showing. Who knows what they're doing? But when I went to New Order the other day, I was the only one in the theater. Mm-hmm. And I was yeah, a I little was bit too for that. I was a little bit disturbed because like I kept on hearing like popcorn crunching. Huh. And at one point oh, I no. it was a it was a small theater. Uh-huh. Um, maybe five rows. And at one point I stood up because I was in the last row Yeah, and I like looked out over the auditorium and no, I am alone. Right. And I still hear popcorn crunching. And I think, what is it? Are they, this is like subliminal. They're trying to get me to go buy popcorn (laughs) or something. Mm -hmm. And then when I got up to leave at the end of the movie, I like stand up again. And there's this man who like is on the floor eating popcorn. And I was like, "What is happening? You like, <laughs> like prostrate or just propped up? No, just like so just like sitting on, on his butt on the floor in front of his seat. That's so weird. And I'm just like, what? you've been watching from down there with your floor. huge popcorn. Yeah. New order. <laughs> I mean, how appetizing! Right. Hey, the movies are back. Quiet Place Two, New Order. Uh huh. <laughs> Good times. Oh my god." What a dark time. It's like the uh, three billboards shape of water year. Get out. Remember that? What a right. year. Right. The, 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 we had trouble on our mind. Yeah. I actually did feel like Quiet Place was a fun time at the movies, though. It, oh, it, I did it's too. part of why I'm feeling more like, oh, yeah, this can be fun. Yeah. It was just an, been catching up with obscure movies lately. And that's not, that's, I like that, but it's also weighs on you after a time. Yeah. Um, all right, look at that. Ten minutes of actual human small talk and chatting and catching up. Yeah, I'm most of it of cut. Most of it cut. Right. <laughs> uh, and us with this huge docket. All right, so together, together is weird and interesting. Over, done, <laughs> gone. Uh, even woman in the window, which we both saw and have opinions yeah. on. I'm yeah. straining to. I know that it's whack. I know that it's interesting, but not great. But not I don't remember. Really. I don't really want to talk about it too much. I know. But and it's can, moment is over, but it is so over it, to me. It was just overwrought and tortured and obvious plot points. It was, it was the idiot plot. Yeah. Right. Where things could be solved if any character stated the obvious, but they don't. Right. Characters it's... change personalities on the turn of a dime. Right. And it's all in service of this Hitchcockian, you know, whatever, but it doesn't, it has to come together at some point. And it, it felt like they came up with a style and a mood board and not a movie, but it's written by Tracy Letts, the great actor and playwright who I was happy to see in the movie too. Yeah. But I based guess... on what the most boring source material ever written. Yeah. It is that a was book, a right? novel. Ugh, yeah. Poor. I mean, if that's a representation of. And does the novel say Hitchcock's vertigo is playing on a TV in the right. background? <laughs> like... Right. They didn't give a good sense of the space. I yeah. thought when she was initially in the stairway that was overlooking that um, hall, that she was in a common area of an apartment building. I didn't mm-hmm. realize that that was all her house until like a third of the way into the movie. Yeah. Because I didn't understand why her neighbor was just waltzing through her home. Right. So she's Amy Adams and she's uh, been through something and she's had substance abuse problems and she's recovering in this apartment. She will, this house, she will not go outside. It's like a brownstone or a townhouse or something in a city. 
and she has a tenant downstairs who's Wyatt Russell who comes out of nowhere and then his his character changes from scene to scene. Yeah. And then this weird family moves in across the street and it's basically rear window type of intrigue. Mm-hmm. And they just basically seem to be psychologically gaslighting her or something. And she thinks she sees a murder and whatever. Yeah. I mean, it is what it is. It's not great. It's very confusing. It's well shot though. It seems to be very like yeah. well storyboarded and thought out, but they forgot to have like consistent characters. And it looks, plot. it looks great. I wish they would have just explained how in the world she lives in this house that must retail for thirty million on right. no income. And from what we learn at the end of the movie, right? Is she in any like how is that how in that condition? How is she buying this house or renting this house or whatever? I like, do not understand. Who puts her there? And then she has in home care from her psychologist, and that's. Um, her therapist, which is Tracy. Lewis. Right. Well, and then when she was talking to her therapist about, you know, she's on the medication she's on. Oh, and she doesn't drink. And then in the next scene, she's drinking. So she's lying to her therapist about that. And I'm like, oh, no, unreliable narrator yeah. that we're seeing th- the whole thing through her eyes that may or may not be true. You can't trust anything that happens. Right. And we meet Julianne Moore, who is assumed to be, by the perspective of the movie and Amy Adams, to be the mom of the family next door. Mm-hmm. But you can tell right away, without, without she makes a cryptic response when she says, you must be Mrs. whatever their name right. is. So you know immediately this is going to be one of these things where we, you know people are calling her crazy. I don't know. It's very tiresome just to even try to remember the plot. I, I know. I will say that the scene with Julianne Moore was probably my favorite in the whole movie where I feel somehow she brought a hint of truth and reality to a strange character. She was like a a breath of fresh air for me. Yeah. Performance wise, that was a real highlight. Yeah. Because Julianne Moore is amazing and she made this very weird character. She she brought so much to it that she made it. Right. As opposed to the three across the street and the detectives who just speak in movie tropes. Oh man. Brian Tyree Henry. I really like that dude. That was painful. He's great on Atlanta. He's great in some movies, but he's just taken the dumbest movie parts. And he's just like, yeah, he's, it's like he's, it feels like an audition, like a bad audition when yeah. he's speaking in this movie. Anyway, uh, I don't know. Gary Oldman's there probably out of, this is the director of Darkest Hour. So maybe that was a favor because that's not a great role for Gary no, Oldman it was to be bad. the angry dad from the family next door. And the kid, I didn't like the kid. I think that kid's an interesting actor. No. And like, you can't be scratch like as an audience member. You can't be scratching your head as to the character's choices unless the protagonist or the person you're following is sharing your reaction. Like bizarre things can happen in the scene, yeah. but then the person whose eyes you're seeing this through has to share your incredulity, and they don't. They just right. accept it. Really, that this kid's just going to hang out in your house. Mm-hmm. You're an agoraphobe. You're just inviting guests in. This is this is insane what's happening. Right. And both and all the characters are just accepting it. If the audience can't accept it, ugh. Yeah, the uh, number of times that she welcomes people into the space of her home and goes out on the porch or whatever or the street to do something, uh-huh. it's it's too much. Yeah. And a couple, you know, and, and it's inconsistent how it treats it like, oh, this is she's freaking out, or it's apparently fine now. I, it was I don't know. That's that's too much time on Woman in the Window. Yeah, it's, they didn't set up the rules, and if it's going to be Hitchcock, I mean, Hitchcock spent a good fifteen minutes going from apartment to apartment across the street, 
So you get the lay of the land. Right. You understand right. who this large cast of characters are so it can be meaningful and then suspenseful when you are yourself going into those spaces. But right. she never can. And it's almost like this movie, I think it's coming in from the opening credits that it goes, the camera go, glides past a TV with rear window or whatever mm. on it. And oh, I feel like God. they're saying, here, take all the work that's already done. You know, you know Hitchcock movies, right? There you go. Right. Now we, st instead of doing all that table setting that you're talking about, they're kind of just saying, you know, right? We're cool. You know about movies. Yeah, I know that. I don't right. know this. Right. But where the buildings across the way, you're yeah. showing me these random snippets and apartments that turn out not to have any meaning later. Yeah. Not great. Um, all right. I'm calling up those who wish me dead. <laughs> okay. We both saw this, right? It's a neo-Western action thriller. Okay. Yeah. Wow. From an excellent writer-director. Remind Taylor me. Remind Taylor me. Sheridan, Hell or High Water, oh. uh, Wind River, Yellowstone, uh, Sicario. He wrote Sicario. He didn't direct oh. Sicario. So this guy's got heat. This guy's got it going <laughs> how do you, on. How do you write Sicario? <laughs> I don't know. Well, uh, yeah. And so anyway, this is a... A very nineties esque sure action is. thriller about uh with Angelina Jolie as a firefighter, but not just a firefighter, but like a what a what do they call them? Like a wind jumper or whatever. Like she parachutes into huge fire uh force fires. And uh th this is the kind of role that I think would have been played by like a Clint Eastwood or or somebody back in the day, or Denzel Washington, the the action hero who's a little bit older and has skeletons in their past and they just want to fade away and do their job and not be bothered but then something comes along adventure comes calling danger comes calling and, and sucks them back into the action and i think jolie is up for that and i think that this is you know the kind of thing maybe you want to throw at her i don't know that i think it's a successful uh vehicle for her the way it's executed but i i've certainly not i don't have a problem with her trying to do something like this no and if anyone can she can i think yeah. that plenty of actresses would seem ridiculous but for some reason angelina jolie just kind of makes sense kind of go with it you yeah. figure if she weren't uh, a movie star yeah maybe she'd be off doing that right you remember what was that movie we saw where she's a a youth a queer youth who lives in an abandoned home in the oh, woods yeah um what's that movie it's right. kind of like what was it? We, yeah, we did an episode yeah. Who cares it, right? what it is? But it says right. if that character grew up, this is who it is. <laughs> right, right, right. That's not the in crowd. I'm looking. No. At, uh, uh, yeah, it doesn't matter. But now, of course, I'm. It's going to bug me if I yeah. look. Uh, we did uh, "Sexy Beast," "Royal Tenenbaums," "Rushmore," "Gods and Monsters" adaptation. It was after that, right? Or was it? Before yeah, that? I think it was after. Away that. we go, Invisible Man. Way Sideways, after. Come to Daddy. <laughs> This is, I don't know what you're getting matter. nowhere on this. <laughs> um, and there was fire in that title too, somehow. Hmm. What was anyway, it? all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this is, yeah, so this is a very weird movie. I feel it feels like it's out of time. And I, I was with her as when she, all right, so a kid in danger comes into her path, and she basically has to use her smarts as someone who knows the woods and knows forest fires and all that to help protect this poor kid. And I bought all of that 
I think the some of the weakest stuff for me was the early scenes trying to establish her as a good old boy with the other firefighters drinking and causing trouble and getting yelled what at by the sheriff, John that? Bernthal playing country rock. That initial, <laughs> that initial scene where they're trying to have some sort of a ceremony in the pavilion. Yeah. And this table of people being so loud is right. like 10 feet from the action. And I'm like, you're telling me nobody's distracted by them. Right. And then she decides what she needs to parasail off the back of a pickup yeah. Just, just for some kicks. But all these decisions, this is why it felt so 1997 to me. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. It was amazing. And I was kind of into it, but I don't know. And then you've got the bad guys who are um, uh, Nicholas Holt and the other guy. They're two, two that guys. I mean, Nicholas Holt is still, I think, can hold his own as an actor. Yeah. He could probably. Uh, Finn Little, is that the guy? No, I think that's the kid. I'm sorry, I'm all over the place. Um, and this. Aiden Gillen. Aiden Gillen, who's one of those guys you know him from a million yeah. things. And there are these like weirdly ruthless and yet utterly incompetent uh, hitmen. As- assassins. Right. Assassins. Why would they do the way they did it? Because right. like, really, Angelina Jolie's not at the center of the story at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's like comes in as a helper. I almost would have found it more interesting if they'd started with the kid and then he just encounters this person in the woods instead of making right. it about her. But who cares? That's just saying what they didn't do. Foxfire, uh, by the way. <laughs> Foxfire, I was right. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So th- this kid, you know, witnesses something and they these assassins want to clean up their loose ends. Why did they why did they ambush the way they did? Why wouldn't if they knew where the people were heading who they were trying to assassinate? Right. Why would they try to do it in the middle of a road while while they're driving? Why and they're established what? they're established as like terminators. They just yes. put on a disguise, walk into your house, and by sheer force of confidence and will, they kill everyone in your family and mm-hmm. they walk away and that's it. They're unstoppable. But then yeah. all of a sudden they're making goofy mistakes. They're yeah, they're 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 turning like slightly to the side to hide their automatic weapons when a car goes by. Right. Like they become incredibly incompetent. It's cartoony. And then like overwhelmed by the, the wife of the policeman brother, right. um, that whole thing that, that felt very like walking dead to me for some reason. Yeah. Like it, it went to a whole different place. Right. John Bernthal from the walking dead as oh. the sheriff. Oh, look at that. Um, but yeah, I'm saying it why. was, it was yes. like, maybe that's why that idea came in my mind. Right. But that's what it felt like to me that suddenly we're in like some like sci-fi dystopian, uh, strange, strange thriller. I felt like something like this, it wouldn't have been successful, but it might've been a limited series because there Mm -hmm. were so many layers of the story and so many characters that they were trying to include that I feel like each of the, um, episodes within this movie could have been a 40 minute episode. Yeah, and some of the stuff doesn't get dealt with as well as maybe you'd like. So th- the fact that she's a firefighter, a forest firefighter, mm-hmm. makes you think, okay, this is she's really going to need to know her stuff. And there is a giant forest fire that figures into the climax, but it behaves in such a way as to the con- you know conform to the convenience of the story. Yeah, and it's it's very slow until it needs to be very fast. It's it it waits for the characters to be read. It just felt like that should have been a bigger looming part of the story instead of just I don't know. It, it didn't. That stuff felt a little weak to me. Well, I think the main part of the emotional catharsis was supposed to be that she's facing again 
the stuff of her trauma where she had lost people in a fire, but that wasn't properly set up. All you see throughout are these flashbacks of like kids running around with some fire and okay. So it looks like some kids were too near a forest fire and you weren't able to save them. And that makes you sad. And of course that would be a sad thing, but what really happened to her? What, Mm -hmm. what did she experience with those kids? What did she see? What, why is she right. so so specifically traumatized? The first when, couple of times they showed it, they're yelling, mom, mom. I thought it was her kids. I thought it was her kids. And no, it's just some random kids. I guess that's a spoiler, but maybe not. That, yeah. But my, I'm just feeling like she has something that she, she has some demons that she needs to um, exercise as well. But we had no idea what the original trauma even was. Mm-hmm. But apart from very generally, oh, she was a firefighter and some people died, as they do when you right, right. fight massive forest fires. Yeah, she must have seen stuff like that several times. Yeah. Before. Why those kids specifically? Mm-hmm. What was the issue? So that we can then have her able to save a kid. Yeah. Yeah, it just becomes this shorthand. We don't get any more information about it. It's just enough. It's almost like there's such a vernacular with movies like this. Yeah. That they're just like, well, that's all you need, right? Throw you a little bit of a flashback and you get it. You get the deal. Yeah. So I'm being critical. Um, Really, though, it's not like incompetent filmmaking. And I enjoyed the ride. Mm -hmm. I if I if I didn't if I weren't so judgy, I mean, and and here I am. It it is just like a, a 90s movie, though. It's very old fashioned. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost refreshing in that way. Yeah. And I mean, the thing about this guy, Taylor Sheridan, is that Hell and High Water and Wind River in particular, they just, they had a real confidence to them. They were not genre-y. They weren't like, they weren't like this. This is almost just like, hey, let's make a, uh, you know, let's make an an old Mel Gibson thriller or whatever. Like, uh, it's just, it's a weird shifting of gears, but I guess that happens when people make successful indies, they get their shot at making something big. And I guess you don't make something with Angelina Jolie, who doesn't, you know, act every five minutes anymore. Right, she, right. she gets to pick her projects. She probably wanted to do something like this. I'm, I'm wondering if she was the drive to make it like this. Yeah, maybe. I mean, because that, I don't want to say like, that's her era, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, uh, the, the other only other thing I think that needs mentioning is the big baddie. When we get one scene with the big bad, it is Tyler Perry. Mm. And for some reason, when I saw him get out of the car and saw the back of his head, I was like, Tyler Perry. <laughs> I, I saw it coming almost before it came. I don't know why I would assume that, but I feel like this is not the first time that it's been a stunt casting of Tyler Perry as a heavy. I, I, I feel like that's also kind of a, an old cliche by this point. Yeah, that was weird. Uh, yeah. Uh, we don't get a whole lot of... I didn't really want more, but we did, we don't get a whole lot of info. It is all wrapped up. I don't think they're trying to make a franchise or anything. I guess they could, but... Um, a franchise? I mean, that's... You know, when you make a movie with a with the, a big actor like this... Those who usually, wish me deader? Right. No. Those who continue to wish me dead. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I don't think that's happening at this point, but um, I don't know. Yeah, it's worth a look, at least as a as a throwback and, and a good ride, a good, interesting. It was fun to see in a theater. Sure, sure. Why not? All right, that's that one. Army of the Dead. <sighs> oh, already in my top 10 of the year. Really? 
2021 American wow. zombie heist film. A zombie heist movie. That's great. I really enjoyed this movie. So it's moronically simple story. We have zombies that have taken over Las Vegas. And so the U.S. government has created a wall around the whole city. Zombies just control it now. And they're going to drop an atomic bomb. But then this guy um, puts together this crew of mercenaries that they're going to steal cash from a casino vault before the, uh, before the blast. They're going to take some of it for themselves as their payment. And they've got to travel on through this uh, zombie wasteland. And we come to understand that there are different levels of zombie because there's kind of like this creature that seems like you might be kind of alien. He's kind of indestructible. Yeah. When he does something to you, he kind of makes this alternate alien-ish, zombie-ish, but, you know, higher level race than just your typical movie zombie, which also does exist. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of like they didn't go into great detail about what the difference is or why someone would become one of the higher race of zombies rather than the the typical group that we're used to seeing um it just is and so this group's got to make themselves they've got to make their way through this this through vegas and most of them die not surprisingly there's a father and a daughter um having some some drama and some repair work in their relationship over the necessity of the dad killing the mother and the zombie apocalypse um and oh who's my favorite uh Tignataro mm-hmm. as the as the helicopter person. Yeah. Boy, she's great. Yes. And, and you know and the, the whole deal Yeah, she's that, right? CGI'd in, you know, yeah. and and I, <laughs> and I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah. Because I watched this movie twice. <laughs> really? Wow. <laughs> yes. Jeez. Well, that was because, just a, a great move. Yeah, it was a great uh Yeah. Choice. And so then watching it twice, I with with eyes for that, mm-hmm. I, I was just delighted. Mm-hmm. by how often she appears just by herself right. <laughs> in a scene where it's like a group of characters are standing together and they like just cut to her alone for a reaction. She makes a shot. snappy comeback to probably right. no one. Right. It was so good. Yeah. So hilarious. Um, but anyway, it is what it is. It is, it is genre. It's mixing heist with zombie. I will say like when you said that it was two and a half hours, I thought, Oh God, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if I can keep it on for 20 minutes. Uh, and then you got back and said, like, oh, you actually didn't watch it in pieces. You 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 kept watching through the whole thing. Yeah. And I was like, oh yeah, me too. It it time flew by. Yeah. Uh Zack, Zack Snyder is a super indulgent dude director. And when it's not the right material, I find it insufferable. I didn't like his watchmen. I uh I don't like when he does superhero stuff. I think it's overblown. He he his his philosophy seems to be every shot is a trailer shot everything has the importance of slow motion of, of like, as if it was a climax mm-hmm. and this is just the right material for his overindulgent style. Everything's fun. Everything's cool. The needle drop songs are too on the nose. Right. It's, it's just fun. It was great. Yeah. The beginning, I was a little concerned about the, the prologue where we've got, you know, this husband and wife, of course they're doomed. You know, you know that mm-hmm. from the outset, that's silly, you know, group of, military people transporting something they don't know what it is they're down this highway nobody's paying good attention oh that crash right. you know 
and I was, and then we see this all this transpire. But then it turned the corner immediately when suddenly we're like in a Vegas show area, right? <laughs> and like zombie showgirls are like you're yeah. you're watching this montage of how Las Vegas came to be taken over, and it's just bloody and grisly and really cinematic and fabulous. Right. Um. And and I was completely hooked after that. I, uh, I loved Richard, it. Richard Cheese version of uh, Viva Las Vegas. Oh yeah. And yeah, good times. Oh, it was great. yeah. It's just the the. It's like a uh, perfect um, conflagration of you know director and material, and uh, it is too long. It's indulgent, but yeah, it's a streaming movie, so you can you can take it down in chunks if you have to. But it's uh, I found it to go down very smoothly, and uh, it's fun check it out yeah so here's a here's a plot question just quickly before we move Mm -hmm. on the whole subplot about the mother who was trapped oh yeah 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 yeah. and i was that even necessary no and yeah we could have had the whole same movie with that extricated right and it really feels like you don't tack on something like that unless you are going to see it through. And then I guess I don't want to give a spoiler for the final moments of the film, but it just by not addressing it, it gets addressed. It gets kind of snuffed out. It gets it doesn't right. get resolved. So I felt I and again, I don't need everything to be tied up in bows. But yeah, why is that a subplot? If that's it where it goes. Yeah, it just should have been edited out. Like the the daughter could have been brought in for any number of reasons. It right. didn't have to be to try to find this woman. Yeah. And there are other little threads that felt like maybe they were excessive, but they at least went somewhere like the, the douchey uh, guard. Well, th- so there's this whole thing in this reality where I guess he's drawing parallels with border control stuff where there are people who have to be in camps because they may or may not be Mm -hmm. the displaced by the zombies or they may or may not be infected. I don't quite understand why they were in that tent village if they were just, and why there were armed guards, but there's this guy who mistreats uh, people, characters, and then he ends up going in and and there's, I felt like that went somewhere at least interesting and had a, payoff it did the the woman who was like their guide into the town i forget i'm not sure any of the characters names so i can't even tell you who the actress was (laughs) but i I thought she was an interesting actress and i liked her character Mm -hmm. and i i felt like they created some new dimensions of of zombie rules that made things a little bit more interesting the way that she has learned to interact with this higher race of zombies right. and understand their value and currency. Yes. And she is Lily, by the way, played by Nora Ardenezer. Thank you. Nope. Yeah. Ardenezer. Arden... Anyway, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, and I thought, oh, that's, that's a new take. It's not simply yeah. that we've got bodies coming toward us, you know, trying to chomp mm-hmm. on us. There's a little bit more brain yeah, they can strategy. try to make deals with them or they can take you know right. take advantage of knowing things about how they operate and that was interesting mm-hmm. yes yeah yeah and again tignataro who great. is so much more interesting and great to watch than the guy who was in the role who of course has been canceled but even before he was canceled christelia just a boring choice for that role well i uh, got the feeling that that must have it felt like a lot of her improv like I can't imagine that these were all in the script. I can't imagine that it was spoken right. or envisioned the same way. And, and to me, it's completely inspired to to cast this woman in this role that mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it was great. Yeah. Didn't Tig have a um like a Hulu series or something about being that, from I was from unaware it? of her existence before. Oh, really? She's a stand up yeah. that I've known for a long yeah. time. And I think she has a really good show about her experience um being queer in, in the South. Mm. Um I has a couple of seasons. I think it was Hulu, but I don't remember for sure. All right. Um yeah, that one's good. Saint Maud. Uh where'd it go? Where'd it go? Where'd it go? I had it up and it's gone now. I will uh so this one you brought to my attention, although I had heard of it, but I guess you push play on it. It's a 2019 uh what? Drama horror mystery spiritual, psychological horror, yeah. religio horror. Right. Uh, it's a movie that follows a pious nurse who becomes dangerously obsessed with saving the soul of her dying patient. So this is written and directed by Rose Glass, and it stars Morphid Clark as Maud, who I saw. I thought I saw her in a trailer for something coming up, but it turns out it was Thomas and McKenzie, who oh. is a similar UK actress. But anyway, uh, she is Maud, who we meet as, uh, what will we call her? I guess... Uh, where does this movie take place, by the way? Because Coney Island is there, but there's so many people that I thought it was in Europe. I don't know. I guess is it I New know. York? I, I was really confused about that, too. Maybe that's intentional? I don't know. Because She's a, a palliative care nurse in an English seaside town. Okay. And it so sure I guess they feels have... like Coney Island, but it's, I guess not. But it says Coney Island in neon letters, but maybe that's that just doesn't. one of those things where they recreate a 50s diner, or maybe this they called this one little alleyway Coney Island, mm-hmm. you know, because there's a beach there or whatever. All right, so uh, that's her. She is replacing another nurse to care for. Uh, is it? I'm sorry, I'm trying to remember. It Jennifer is uh, Ely. Jennifer Ailey. Ely? Is that how you say your name? I think it's Ely. Ely as Amanda, who is a uh, former dancer and performer who is dying of cancer in her home that is kind of a, was once a nice big home is kind of decrepit and, and old and she is suffering and she's apparently difficult to deal with but she also uh, likes to party sometimes and has some friends that come over and we learn that so we learn bit in bits and pieces that Maud has some kind of an unex, unexplained trauma or something in her past she seems to be trying to put it behind her and, and be a nurse. She is obsessed with her relationship with God and her salvation and her path of uh, redemption. And she wants to share this with other people, including her her uh, charge, Amanda. And it kind of starts as a playful kind of relationship where Amanda appreciates Maud's attention and her her desire to save her and she thinks it's kind of cute and silly she humors her a little bit but then things start to get um messed up things start to get weird uh she Amanda has a friend played by Lily Fraser named Carol who she pays for companionship Maud confronts her and asks her not to come back pretends that she's just thinking of uh Amanda's well-being but she's really trying to you know uh, uh, just cleanse her her uh her life for her and uh basically things get out of hand at a party and maude says some nasty things she loses the job and then it's kind of just about maude sinking deeper and deeper into madness as she lives alone in a squalid little tiny apartment 
Uh, it looks a couple times like she's going to pull herself together, but then things just get crazier and crazier until she hatches a plot to work her way back into the house. And boy, thing I'm not going to spoil anything about where things go in the final act. But Dan, I thought this movie was really fascinating, very well done, made with real style and confidence. I like the performances, uh, both of these, Amanda and Maude. I, um, I thought this was a nice short movie. Maybe you want a little more, you want it to explain a little more about what happened. Um, there's hint, you know, cause you don't get quite enough, but I don't know. I think it might just be perfect the way it is. Uh, I, li- I liked it a lot. Yeah, I agree with you. I feel like one of its strengths is that it does not give you a lot of background. You piece together where Maud's coming from. You understand that she is not a lifelong devout Christian she comes from a place of desperation and clearly latched on to this uh, spiritual awakening that she's had as a as a mode of survival. She's in the tradition of uh, Marjorie Kemp and the mystics. This isn't like a evangelical born again experience. She's she's experiencing Christ in this highly spiritual sexual way, and. You know, like Marjorie Kemp would wear the hair shirt under her clothes so that she could always be uncomfortable to remind her of Christ and hear mods like what's sticking tacks through her shoe soles so that she can writhe in agony with every step, uh, really torturing herself. And then when she has a crisis of faith, she backslides into her into her former ways and and she just falls apart. And the the uh, the polars the what am i trying to say the poles between agony and ecstasy just become further and further apart in one way and closer and closer together till we reach the climax mm-hmm. of I, I don't think it's a spoiler to say of self-destruction and um and you're just kind of left with the with the mystery and the the way how good everything looked and how good everything felt and how it was continuously interesting um and intriguing i i really enjoyed i read so again i'll keep things vagueish so that people can experience it for themselves but when she does return to amanda's home and has the experience with amanda that she has Mm -hmm. jennifer ely's character i read that whole encounter as her perception of it yeah it may have been because uh, Otherwise, you know, some, something big is going on and, and Maud's been right the whole time. But there's a few things, especially in the editing of the final moments of the movie that kind of tell you, like, by the way, we're seeing all of this from Maud's. There's a very mm-hmm. quick cut. I don't know if you noticed it right at the end when she's on the beach mm-hmm. where it's like, this is what's really happening. Right. Um, I don't know if you noticed it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I, just, I, I, I had to rewind. I literally was like, wait, oh. what was that? So I, I mean, it, it is a little blink, but... blink and you miss it. But to me, right. that that ending is 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 its power. That's the that's the punch at the end. Yes. Of. Right. Anyway. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's really uh, it's it's dark and uncomfortable. It is not a fun horror movie. If you're up for spiritual, psychological horror. Uh, this, and who this isn't? Is, yeah. These days. So uh, it's it's fascinating. It's good. All right, we got two left. I'll, can I? Maybe this is a good time for me to just say, Street Gang. If anybody's interested and wants to see some some good uh, 
the good the good thing about Street Gang, the Sesame Street documentary, mm-hmm. is that it focuses sharply on like the first decade. So it's sixties and seventies, the stuff that I would remember from childhood. And the two things that are great about it is of course seeing Muppet footage, seeing Jim Henson and Frank Oz do stuff on set mm-hmm. and bring their magic to Sesame Street. But the more interesting stuff that I didn't know about was the kind of political and philosophical underpinnings of looking at the state of TV and commercialism and saying, what if we use these tools to help kids, especially to help inner city kids get ready for school mm-hmm. because they're not going to get it anywhere else. And that's what I think is really special about Sesame Street. And this movie does a really great job of, of laying that all out. So highly recommended. It's still kind of an expensive rental. I'm sure it'll come to some streaming service or, or be a cheap rental soon, but recommend it. Nice. New order. New order. Okay. Nueva so, Orden. <laughs> yes. 2020 Mexican French art film thriller. And uh, I think I saw the very last showing in Seattle. I really had to rush mm. to get there and I'm, I'm glad I did. So it's the wedding of an upper class couple in Mexico City. It's invaded by rioters. That's putting it mildly. (laughs) Amidst a nationwide working class uprising. Also putting it mildly. I I mean, I'm light on plot. I'll go into the plot thin as it is Mm -hmm. in a moment. But I think that there are movies that that are empty at the center. And they're made artlessly. I think here is a movie that is made so artfully that may be empty at the center. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 often yeah. um, I, I see it compared to Parasite by people who like it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I do not compare it to Parasite. Um, yeah, but pa- but Parasite was quite clear in its storytelling, and it was mm-hmm. an allegory that worked. Right. It, it the metaphors were wonderful, besides being intensely well done from top to bottom and compelling. I think that new order was also compelling as long as you don't have to look away, but what really it was talking about, I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. And I thought initially, Oh, I just don't know anything about what's going on in Mexico or things that have happened in Mexico. And the writer director is assuming that you understand the nature of the sociopolitical unrest that's going on in the background. And then I do a little research and I realize that's not the case. Mm-hmm. This isn't about a specific incident. This is supposed to be It's farcical. Just, yeah, it's Yeah, it's, just uh... a big picture. This is the problem in Mexico. Mm-hmm. You know, and and then I was kind of like, "Oh, maybe this wasn't so great." So, <laughs> it begins uh, I thought the opening sequence is was so well done. Yeah. Where you've got this upper class wedding at this palatial mansion um, you're getting to know the family relationships of the couple who's getting married, particularly the bride to be, Marianne, played by uh, Nayan Gonzalez uh, Norvine. And you, you just you get... got really loud, by the way. You just oh. uh, d- doubled in your volume. It's fine. Doubled my volume. Yeah. Oh. Don't know why. It's intense. I mean, the material calls for it. So it's fine. Right, maybe my voice just got more intense. Maybe. Um, and you're seeing all the wedding guests arriving, but you're also getting, you've also received the sense of dread from the opening sequence that something is not right and bodies are piling up and uh, green, green liquid is, is flowing all over the place and th- things are very menacing. They've got high security around this estate. They feel threatened even as their guests are arriving. And we don't quite get a sense then or ever 
what's going on with the people who are um, com- coming after them. But this wedding is going to be happening. And pretty soon this man shows up um, at, at in the back. His uh, name is Rolando, played by um, Eligio uh, Melendez or Eligio. Mm-hmm. And he is a former employee of the family, long known to them and his wife. Uh, it needs a surgery. She's unable to get it at the public hospital because the protesters have done so much damage that new patients are coming in, taking priority. She's got to go to a private hospital and he doesn't have the money. So he's coming to this family, hoping that they can help him out. They kind of um, try to send him off with way not enough, but Marianne wants to try to help. So she takes things into her own hands. She leaves with another family employee to try to get the the help that they need. And this is when things go to hell at the wedding and they go to hell um, in the greater community. And for the rest of the movie, we're in hell and we, we, we don't really know who's in charge or who can be trusted or who is part of the uprising or who is part of the military or what members of the military or have gone rogue. And in the end, it seemed like what they were trying to say is that the military turned the narrative around to uh, toward the rich people of the country so as to feel like they were back in control, but really they caused all the problem in the end. Um, and pretty much everybody dies a grisly, agonizing, hideous death. Um, and, and then it's just over and we see a Mexican flag blowing in the wind <laughs> as if, I mean, what is this for the tourism board to, to, to make people even more racist? And I understand that like that the people in, in Mexico were, were really upset about even the trailer of this hmm. because it, it seems to uh, stoke the, a lot of racist sentiments. And it seems like the filmmaker was trying to almost satirize that with hmm. with the treatment. But I don't know that 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 sat, satire is the wrong word. What hmm. was trying to address that um, in the movie. But I don't know that he did clearly at all um yeah. michael franco by the way mm-hmm. written directed produced edited that's never a good mm-hmm. sign when, when there isn't any uh creative collaboration right right um but what he's gotten by way of performance mm-hmm. and look and cinematography and dread um out of context if you're just watching this as a film to go on a ride to me it's highly effective and i was i i was so interested and entranced throughout i hoped to go home and do some research to make sense of what i'd just seen mm-hmm. and unfortunately i found that i could not do that yeah that's interesting um i think i had a similar journey at least emotionally with how what to do with the movie although i think i watched it i think i watched it more on a how, how what what language to use on a kind of a broad uh, generic kind of of canvas instead of I wasn't thinking about Mexico I was thinking about the nature of inequity and inequality mm. and revolution and then it felt to me like what the movie's saying is yes it feels like it feels like something's going to give and the 99 need to rise up against the one uh, but fascism and militarism and all this other shit has so poisoned the well yes. that even even any attempt at revolution is simply going to be derailed by people who claim power in other ways. Like, 
at, at its lowest level, I think that's what's going on. That's not necessarily enough because there's so much more intrigue and specific stuff and who, you know, which members of the rich family are being protected by the military, which are not what, what, what happens in the end and what does the revelation mean? All that stuff. It's so defeating too, because it's also negative. It's also devastating. You know, you, it's interesting to me. Here's something I didn't realize until I was thinking about this movie just yesterday. There is, so the perspective characters that you get in a movie, you know, mm-hmm. if you're going to go through something like a war or a, an uprising or whatever, there's characters you're going to follow. And the major one in this, uh, some people have criticized the fact that it is a blonde, mm-hmm. attractive woman who is like the nice rich person. She mm-hmm. is the compassionate. She complicates this idea that the rich are all these pigs, you know, because she's sweet and she cares about them. And even then I think she might be a little out of touch and she might be a little condescending, sure. but she's, you care about her and she's a perspective character. You also have perspective characters in Christian and played mm-hmm. by Fernando Coautle, uh, in a, I think a really good understated performance yeah. and his mother and his mother. And the, they are unaffiliated. They seem to be sitting out the revolution and just mm-hmm. trying to survive. They seem to be available to the rich family to continue to assist them. Their perspective characters just for people who this is happening to. Mm-hmm. And then you have like her brother and her, her the guy she was marrying yeah. and her dad. And they're all kind of just make, trying to make deals to get this to be over with. And then you have like the military guy that they, they know who's supposedly going to help them. I realized there is no perspective character on the uprising side. No, none. And it seemed almost arbitrary who we were following in this story. It seemed like we might have had the entire thing flipped, right? And and watched the story from the perspective of one of the protesters Mm -hmm. um, and not known any of the people in the house. But it's almost like the vantage point needs to be of the people who are threatened, right? Because right. that's you want the audience to feel their dread, yeah, and 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 all that works great in the first half hour. Finding yeah. out that the security guy and the housekeepers are are in on it, and right. they're pulling guns all of a sudden. Like that stuff was shocking and so well done. It was very upsetting and exciting. Yeah, but yeah. and like so, and a lens that I didn't look at it through because of um, American whiteness, I think was to note that all of the rich people were white mm-hmm. and that all of the servants or protesters were mm-hmm. darker skinned. Yeah. And yeah. and that's a very intentional choice uh, right. on the part of the, the filmmakers. No one is spared. It's not like mm-hmm. um, Marianne being uh, a little nicer than the rest of her family right. uh, spared her any agony. Mm-hmm. You'd, it's not a, you know, it's not a good karma movie right, right, right. and in the end it's just the military uh regains control of the country they regain the confidence of the rich while simultaneously um working against the rich really mm-hmm. uh in order to resecure their own power yeah and pl- and posthumously placing the blame on right. people that are convenient to to do so yes for me where the movie and i guess I didn't to be caught up in the in the the chaos and the whatever. I, I guess I didn't need this, but I just wanted to know these soldiers in the street. So we go from the opening scene where it's clearly just citizens, mm-hmm. right? People on social media and in the streets that are throwing green paint on stuff and mm-hmm. and showing up with guns to the wedding, and it's just feels like a people's revolution. Mm-hmm. At, very quickly, we've got people in camouflage with assault weapons, right. and I'm like, are they the same people? Are they official military? Are they 
paramilitary? Are they militia? Who are these factions? Who are they working for? Who do they think they're working for yeah. or whatever? Like it was I, unclear. Lost me completely. Yeah. Completely unclear. So the the guy who was the rich people's contact, he appeared to work for the legitimate military, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the people who were in the uh, little death camp sequence, who were the in charge there, they seemed to be either military who'd gone rogue or right. um or militia or something, right. but that's never quite made clear. Right. And then it's they, like yeah. And then the military, once they regain control, then they clean house with genocide against right. their own service people. It's it appeared, yeah. right? right? And and, and what really yeah. happened to the the people who had been part of the uprising? Also, not clear. Right, and I and again, I don't need everything to be spelled out. No, and to be longer, it's a nice eighty minute movie. It goes down, you know, easily for being so brutal too. I was thankful that it wasn't longer, but I don't know. I feel like. A, just a, a t- just a couple of shots or scenes because you know are are they like the guy in Quo Vadis Aida who is the, the the fascist general who then after the war is just like a dude with his kid like are they citizens who are caught up because they kind of have that vibe when the kidnappers in their camo when they take off their their headgear they ta- they look like young look like college mm-hmm. age people right, right are they just people who got so caught up in it and then they they got the fever of fascism and they were like yeah all right I'll do this well you they know, seem like they were the trying they were trying to get ransom money for themselves yeah. or to at least skim some off right. it it was it was a state in chaos <laughs> yeah and and I think that the audience understood probably as little as Marianne did mm-hmm. of what was going on. Yeah, it generates good conversation, clearly. I don't know that it's going to be a big conversation. I feel like this is a movie that's not it's going to be an art house movie. It's no. not going to get like a lot of attention. No, and it so, had an, no, it had its impact though. Yeah. Like I don't usually do so much reading afterwards, but I sure did on this one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I and I found that most of the reviews were like either 3.5 or 1.5. There wasn't mm-hmm. much middle ground because it's very polarizing. Mm-hmm. Um, someone mentioned the uh, the use of green with, with the paint and Marianne's um, red mm-hmm. suit throughout being like the colors of the Mexican flag. Mm-hmm. I thought that was kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the two classes... Um, represented by color throughout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting, and I would, I, it's, I would love to, almost to hear. I, I'm afraid it would probably just be. I don't know why I feel, but it would be ramblings. But I wouldn't mind hearing the director. You know, if he did a commentary or a talk. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I don't know. Maybe that would ruin it. But I, I do want to know more. But I, I gotta say, I, the trailer is so intriguing. I honestly thought it looked scarier than Quiet Place Two. I was mm. going to see Quiet Place Two, but then I figured I'd better see this while I can. So, and then I did see Quiet Place Two, which I guess we'll, yeah, we'll eventually get to. But, right. uh, I, I don't know. It, I'm glad I saw scary it. Scary the word. It's like full of dread. No, yeah, it's a. It's just like it's horrifying. It's not horror, but it's horrifying. Right. It, I mean, it's Belshazzar's feast, right? Like mm-hmm. the these folks, they, the world is burning down around you. You didn't put off the wedding. You thought you'd have the mm-hmm. wedding today. Yeah. That's insane. Right. And I mean, and I, I think that yeah. goes to their cluelessness. Right. And I still think that's the most effective part of the movie is that entire first half hour yes. or whatever that is. It's such a great way 
to bring us into that world and tell us everything we need to know about the rich side. I guess it's just that there's a real dearth of of perspective on the other side. Yeah, that's the only place where, to me, the parasite comparison holds. Mm-hmm. The beginning of the third act, when they're like just walking out onto that backyard for the party, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm just like, oh, the audience by that point knows this is not going to go well, right. and, and just just that 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 sense of, of of horror that's about to ensue. That's how I felt throughout the entire first mm-hmm. sequence. Yeah, uh, we are at one hour, and we have uh, one movie left. That's oh, just Unless, a little one, a little thing. Quiet Place Part Two. Welcome back to the movies. Mm-hmm. So, Quiet Place Part Two. I I don't think it's as I think everybody knows that this is here and it's, you know, everybody seems to like it and the movies are back. I, I got to say that it's a little bit uphill for me. I don't want to like it, but I do. Really? It's, it's undeniably good. Well, just because it's a PG 13 horror, it's by John Krasinski. Yeah. It's like the movies are back. That ridiculous introduction. Or did, when you saw it, was there an introduction by yeah, him? There, there Literally was. just saying you are watching this movie by right. <laughs> what is the point? Cause people like him. I get right. it. I, I don't dislike him. It's just, it feels like such a product, but it's so undeniably good. It's yeah, the first one is. was good. And this one is really good. Yeah, I mean the the first one was the first one, and I, and it was better to me. Um, as far as the story goes, it was unique, and no one expected much from it. And then it it was better than than we thought it was going to be, or not not that we thought it was going to be bad, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. It ha- it found its place as, as a little bit more way of better a than most sequels to PG thirteen horror movies are. Yeah, yeah. The the original found its little place of prestige. This I feel like is more like genre sequely, um, mm-hmm. jumpy, but but it works just fine, and it uses an interesting premise. It uh, it reminded me of Lost a little bit, where it doesn't um, answer too many questions, but it gives you just enough extra information mm-hmm. about the kind of world they're living in to keep you intrigued. Um, yeah. the The performances remain good. They they make horror movie mistakes consistently. Like yeah. particularly when uh, Noah Jupe uh, ventured out of yes. the thing, what I wanted to, I wanted what? to yell. Yes, what, <laughs> what are you are doing? You're the like one you safe character. yourself and the baby right. and your mother and oh my gosh, right? You're the oh how annoying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And in the end, and what? Here's one other thing. They, I guess we can just say this much: the uh, the uh, daughter played by uh, Millicent Simmons. Mm-hmm gets this idea when she hears this radio broadcast of uh or not hears but understands mm-hmm. of of somewhere beyond the sea that this is a message that we've got to go somewhere beyond the sea to an island she determines and so then they get to this island where it turns out life is able to be lived uh, a, a little bit normally um what if you had radio broadcasting capabilities right why would you speak in riddles right the creatures don't hear language much less understand it right <laughs> like why why wouldn't you just be like hey there's a right. crucial piece of information a crucial weakness mm-hmm. that we discover how in the world did that not get discovered by you know remember like that stupid board that john krasinski had in the first right. one yes. what is the weakness right you know as if he's asking <laughs> the essential question of the second right well well that's a pretty obvious one um what it turns out to be and right. clearly someone would have known this, but I guess they're also isolated and nobody's communicating. And so yeah. we don't know. But now it's revealed. Why wouldn't you just say it plainly instead of 
right. playing this record sense, right. endlessly. Yeah, right. It's yeah. What is, why? Why is it cryptic? Right now, there are bad people. So could it be so that the dumb? We see that there's a whole like basically breed of nasty but people why? waiting to come out and jump you. But why? Yeah, I don't know. It's been like, a bad what, year. What has happened? It's only been a year. Why yeah, are these people right. feral? Right. The idea that like a young girl who's like five has become a murderer right. in, in the right. woods and she traps people in a in ways right. horrific and profound. Why would they do? Why would that have happened in a year? Unless mm. there's more information. Unless they've been infected in some way. Yeah. And now they're all psychotic. Right. So. That, that leads into what I would say is both a strength and weakness of the movie. And I want to praise it and then kind of smack it down in the same breath. Because what is good about this movie as a sequel is that it only makes the world of the movie universe a little bit bigger. Uh-huh. It explores one extra thing, a couple extra people, another place. And it does not, it resists that very Hollywood urge. Let's see the planet that they came from. Let's make it bigger this time. They're right. running from a hundred of these things. It's very small. The stakes are personal and individual. And I like that at the same time. And I know this is stylistic and on purpose. It's it's fascinating how this movie decides you are only getting a handful of characters mm-hmm. so that when you get to this island full of these people who probably have these fascinating stories about, you know, escape and making it there, you only get to hear Jaiman Hansu speak. You only meet him. You know what I mean? Like, I know right. that's the movie deciding to be small and I admire that, but at the same time, it feels weird. And even when they meet all the creepers on the dock, I know that they're probably not going to talk because they don't want to draw the creatures, but those were just silent characters, almost like zombies that were just there for the scene. Right. It's almost too small. The world's a little too small in quiet place. Universe. Yeah, so, so much so even that Killian Murphy shows up, who, by the way, like I liked him way back in the day. And I'm mm-hmm. thinking like, boy, I don't see him much. But maybe that's just the movies that I see. He came in to me to basically be a Krasinski stand in. It's like we need a new dad in the story. Right. And so he lost his family. Oh, perfect. Let's team right. up. Right. You know, but he's got to prove himself. That's the other thing, too, is that I love when people direct movies where they are the character that everyone else compares themselves to for manliness and heroicness. Mm-hmm. Yes. Everyone's constantly talking about right. what a man he was. You're not the man right. he was. That's fun. I, I don't get the feeling that like John Krasinski really thinks that of himself. So I guess I no, but you just have to do more... that when you write a movie. Right. Like this. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, you're Michael Skarn. Um, Emily Blunt, I didn't feel like had very much to do. Mm-hmm. Um, for being, you know, to me, such a centerpiece of the first story. Yeah. Um, to me, she was just mostly there. And like, you're exactly right that they just expanded the world a little bit. You still don't know what's going on worldwide or even across the state. Um, but you do meet a few more characters. You see a little bit more of the world. And in the same way as in the first movie, she was able to destroy the monsters by putting her hearing aid in an amplifier um, she wants to do that on a larger scale at a local mm-hmm. radio station. And so we've gotten one step mm-hmm. closer to to right. a solution, you know, and then, boy, is that door ever left open for a sequel. Right. Yeah. Right. And I got to say that as gimmicks go for how to get rid of the aliens, it's a bit of an eye roller. And the fact that they just 
do it again and again. And it was in the yeah. first movie too, but it is, at least it's a step above the glass of water from signs. And again, signs is another great movie. Yeah. 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 But such a silly way to get, it's basically war of the worlds, like, how, you know, yeah. germs or whatever that gets rid of the aliens. At least this is clever and it ties in the idea of having the deaf girl, which could have been a gimmick, but fortunately for them, Millicent Simmons is amazing yeah. and basically carries this movie. I mean, like, so there's obvious, you know, things going on in the screenplay literary things but i kind of appreciated it as a viewer like you're moving from one uh character's viewpoint to another and the water is following both characters and the fire is following both characters Hmm. and it's snapping back and forth to parallels in their situations even though they're happening separately i liked that um i think that john krasinski is a great director Mm -hmm. I, i i i like the way it looks i like the pacing i like the feel um, he's, he's Jim from the office, unfortunately, so yeah. he can't, so he can't get that feeling of pedigree, but I think he does right. really good work. A lot of people think they can pump out a movie like this and then you get a piece of shit, right? This is effect. This is like Shyamalan Spielberg level yeah. crowd pleasing. And I, that's, you got to give it to him for that. And it is, is, a, it's more like signs than we ever realized. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Um, very much, yeah. It gives me those vibes. But I, again, that's one of the great theatrical experiences, I think, uh, of my life, especially given how scared I get at loud movies and whatever. Mm. I loved Signs. I thought Signs I did was too. Yeah. one of the most effective times in the movie theater I've ever experienced. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like praising this movie is b- basic, but it's really good. So, And if you're looking for a, if you're looking for an excuse, if you don't go to like you know, every movie, every weird movie you can, like we do, and you're looking for an excuse to go back to the theater, I'd say this is a pretty good one. See it in the theater. Yeah. John Krasinski, John Krasinski thank you. Personally, thank you. Uh, yeah. All right. Um, that's it. I don't know. I don't remember the last time we went over an hour. Well, you'll edit some of it out. I will. I might keep more of that opening stuff than you think. I just have to take out the uh, mm. certain certain things. All right, Dan. Well, thank you. We, we caught up. We did it. We now have a clean slate. Great. Thank God. Uh, yeah. I will not mention Together Together next week. <laughs> I want to watch Cruella, and I'll probably watch The Conjuring. Oh, yeah. I'll probably watch that, too, since it's right there on HBO Max. Or yeah. maybe I'll do it in the theater. I don't know. But yeah. uh, uh, Cruella, I don't... I'll see it when it's on Disney+, Plus, but I don't know how long that's going to take. What? So, I don't know. It's a maybe... prestige opening I, I feel like the mo- moment's done though i feel like I, I mean I, people already talked it. about it people are <laughs> yeah. i got mad it. with everybody on twitter about the one thing everybody got mad about and then i hear from everybody else that it's actually interesting so oh. i do want to see it yeah well i'm gonna see it and right. then it can be my together together okay. <laughs> okay you can bug me about it for eight weeks yeah but, uh, all right I don't know yet what I'm going to say. I don't even know what's on my radar. The movie times, again, we're back in this loop with AMC where they don't publish. I go to the movies on Thursday. They don't publish the showtimes till Wednesday evening. So I have no idea what's going to be. Sometimes like the big release will be there. Let me look it up right now and see what's already available for Thursday. The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, which is a hilarious title. Spirit Untamed and Bridesmaids 10th Anniversary. All right. I'm sure something else will pop up. Cruella, not even on that list. What? If I can't, if nothing else surfaces, I will see Cruella on Thursday. How about that? There you go. If something better doesn't come along, mm-hmm. I will. Uh, I'll do it. All right, this has gone on long enough. 
Uh, but it was enjoyable. It was nice Agreed. to catch up and get all those to purge all of those things. From I know it's weak, so weak long, memory. so long ago. Uh, all right, it's a new world. It's a Nuevo Orden. Mm-hmm. And um, this has been our podcast for Dan and Josh. You can follow us if you like. Uh, follow me on Instagram and see all my uh, various artworks. And um, I don't know. Follow Dan around Seattle. Don't do that. That's not <laughs> healthy for anybody. He's not really up to much, but <laughs> uh, Jonah Rapino does 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 the music. Shows up every week. Does the music for us. JR. And we're, we're, we're grateful for it. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye. Okay. Hi. Sorry. I uh, I had to go to the little podcaster's room. Oh. Are you you still here? Oh, there you are. <laughs> yeah, I was just <laughs> disinterested. Okay. Cool. <laughs> Off to a trademark start. <laughs> yeah.